When I found out I was gonna be a parent, I immediately felt a lot of anxiety and worry. So I went on to BetterHelp to try to look for a therapist to help me with that. My relationship with my family and with my boyfriend and with myself were suffering. I really needed help. I was ruminating a lot. Really getting those thoughts out to a therapist and getting feedback was just life-changing. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, learn more at betterhelp.com. That's betterhelp.com. Welcome to a special sports edition of Keep It. I'm Ira. Hi, it's Kara. <laughs> and it's me, old sporto, Lewis. You're going to love hearing us talk about sports in a few minutes. And we will also be joined by author Samantha Irby for a discussion on the Netflix stand-up special Nanette and Drake. This weekend, I was at the Families Belong Together March in downtown LA, and Maxine Waters was definitely one of the highlights. She was, she was... Fiery. Yes, she was fiery. She's really off her game. She was particularly on today. (laughs) All I have to say is this. If you shoot me, you better shoot straight. There's nothing like a wounded animal. The best thing about her is that Trump has recently branded her Mad Maxine, which... That's just awesome. ...is a beautiful name. (laughs) (laughs) Like, everybody loves Mad Max. We really liked Fury Road. It's the only clever thing he's ever said. (laughs) It's actually kind of clever in, like, a cute way. Yeah, she is also the only person who's out here like matching him soundbite for soundbite. Right. Every time she gets on the mic, it's covered. Right. She was great. The march was really good. I mean, good. I, I've been having this really weird feeling actually going to uh, these marches and demonstrations where I'm really mad that I have to be there and that I'm so angry that we have to do this. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes for me this sort of vibe of like, woohoo, and like taking Instagram photos and things like that, that it feels a little off-brand, I don't know, for, for or just incongruent to me with the mood, but I did enjoy listening to Maxine, and like what I liked is that she was sort of matching the anger I felt, which is often an anger I don't feel like a lot of people around me are expressing. It sort of feels like they're doing this fun thing, and I, I get it. It's, you know, it's nice to feel energized, and it's it's certainly not that people shouldn't be going, but she matched sort of the tone of what I was feeling, which is like, I'm so mad, and I cannot believe we have to be here doing this. And by the way, she remains rare among politicians in that way, where when she speaks, you actually feel the thing you're feeling. Like, it's represented, you know? Like, Elizabeth Warren's one of those people, too. My dream. Rare among Democrats. Totally. Because you constantly have have people out here being like, she should apologize to Trump, or this isn't representative of all Democrats. I've I've had enough. Of what all Democrats I need, are I need more about. stunts from her. I, my dream is she starts on the West Coast with the roll of receipts and walks straight across the country <laughs> to Washington, unrolling it the whole time. <laughs> like hands across America. Receipts for, across America. Yes. She had a fire. I also really appreciated Bambi Salcedo. She is the CEO of the Trans Latina Coalition. And I was at a fundraiser for them a couple of weeks ago. And she was hot. She was swearing up a storm called out Trump, called out ICE and immigration detention centers, especially for how trans women can get caught in that system and 
basically just like be denied the medications they need or die without the people in their families around them. And so, yeah, I feel sort of the same way as Kara. Like, I was angry. A lot of people like Bambi and Maxine were making a point to be like, you can't just come to the march and right. be cute. You got right. Bambi specifically was like, it's cute that you're out here, mm-hmm. you're taking your photos, but what are you gonna do about it tomorrow? I do think generally with, and I had written an article about this for Jezebel and all of the white women got very mad at me because I said that I did not enjoy the Women's March. I did have this feeling of like, where the hell were you when I was at a march for Mike Brown and there were like 40 of us down at Limerick Park? It was that kind of shit where I was like, I, I definitely am glad that people are, and you know, and it, it, it sucks because it took something awful to sort of energize people. But I had a skepticism of like, I do wonder if you're going to keep showing up in the way that you have been. And if you're going to keep showing up for other things, like showing up for the keep families together, like there were fewer people there than there were at the Women's March. And it's that type of stuff that I Short just think for it's- local election. Yeah, I think it's important to like, it's cool. I mean, it's not cool, but it's fine to put on your pussy hat and you can and and do the signs and all of that but and take your photos but it's bigger than that and um it's just something that I think is you know you don't want it to be I went to the march and I took a cool Instagram photo and I supported and and I've done what I've needed to do also there's something about these marches period where basically you're you're told to go you know it, it feels less like a personal conviction than just well, anybody with a brain at all will be there, so I've got to be and there. And I actually you know? had, a, I had a very weird feeling because I went and I and and I didn't take any pictures or post about it. And I for a second I was like, oh, people are gonna think I didn't go, which is not the where I was like mad at myself for even thinking that because that's obviously not the point. But mm. it does feel like you need to prove that you're doing it. And I was like, I don't need showing up was the deed um, and I don't need to like prove that I went but even the fact that that crossed my mind that like people are going to think you didn't go Mm -hmm. to this thing um, I was mad at myself for even thinking that but um, I mean I don't want to I don't want to print out your bank receipts Kara (laughs) have you donated any money today (laughs) I mean and I don't want to I don't want it to be like a bummer but it was it's something that I think about a lot with these and it was something that I wrote about and everyone got very mad at me and I still know that I'm right about it so Listen, well, that's convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Mid- midterms are coming up, and I think that is when we are truly going to see how much everyone is devoted to everything. And I hope we are. Because if not, I'm out of here, y'all. <laughs> I'm going to say, America. I'm like, the Samoa, 4th of July is coming up. I'm like, I got to go. <laughs> Who wants to be an expat? We can film Keep It in Paris. <laughs> Coming up later this episode, we will have author Samantha Irby. She wrote Meaty and We Are Never Meeting in Real Life and an all-around perfect person. Keep It is brought to you by Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. If you're really good at it, that is. I've actually met several really good friends through Hinge. I've used it, I can't believe this, over a decade now. Woof, what a life I've had. Well, you know what they've added within a decade of us being on Hinge is their new LGBTQIA plus prompts, which are designed to help queer daters better connect based on similarities, interests, and compatibility. Hinge prompts helps you show off your full personality and connect with someone who appreciates you. Plus, these prompts were created in collaboration with Glad. So they are by the people, for the people. Some of the prompts are, the first time I knew I was gay was, mm, I was literally in the act of being gay, like hooking up with somebody when I admitted it. (laughs) Denial is strong and hard in the Catholic Midwest. Mine was Tom Cruise's Vanity Fair cover. 
the shirtless one. You just turned to an imaginary camera and said, I'm gay. Yeah. Or broke the fourth wall. <laughs> You're like Fleabag. Other prompts include, I feel proudest of who I am when. It feels affirming when others, blank. I connect to my community by. I wish I could tell the younger version of myself. I'm going to say whenever I watch that in a drag race semifinal, when they're like, if I could talk to my younger self, I would say, I would be like, girl, get tighter clothes. I mean, what's going on with what you're wearing? You look like you're in the X Games. Other prompts include my chosen family is the best at and gender euphoria looks like. Download Hinge and show off your full self using their LGBTQIA plus prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. Keep It is brought to you by Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. I was there. I remember. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children, like Dance Moms, the infamous Lifetime Network show where the studio owners screamed at children and their moms over several seasons. On each episode of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop, comedians join host Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Mm, they recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Well, we know that someone created the beast known as Jojo Siwa. <laughs> you think we see the, the, the lab workings that created Jojo Siwa? <laughs> yeah. One pigtail, two pigtails. <laughs> Uh, and Chemical X. <laughs> <laughs> Abby's biggest misstep actually wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Well, follow The Big Flop wherever you get your podcasts. Lewis, this podcast is about to get really mass. I've never, mass. I've never once thought you actually wanted me off the podcast, but we're starting with LeBron James. I was like, I'll just leave through, like, the ceiling with an umbrella. <laughs> we are doing a sports roundup Help because me. sports are happening. All it's the, the time. summer. Lewis, it's not just summer that they're happening. You don't know this is a this constant is thing. very confusing for me. Yeah. Don't worry, I wikied basketball before this, so I'm all ready to be an authority. <laughs> Yeah. There are also gay people that play sports. I, I mean, they haven't introduced themselves to me at Fresh Corn Grill in West Hollywood, Got so it. I'll never know. <laughs> the biggest news maybe this week is LeBron James is joining the Lakers, and I am ready to show up to games taking Instagrams <laughs> like I have had season Like passes, you have been a Lakers fan. Like I had season tickets for a minute. I'm ex- I, have, I, I don't know how you can like enjoy basketball and not be a fan of LeBron James, but I feel like he's the most like Hollywood totally. sort of NBA player. Like he just, he's, he's even been in a movie, but like he just makes mm. sense in LA and I'm excited for him. Amy to- Schumer is thirsting to get him in another movie. <laughs> like, you're in L.A.? Why don't, you, why don't you just come on down? Like, shoot something with me on a Saturday. Oh, Lord. He's not doing that. <laughs> he has a production company that I don't know that people know about that. Like, they produce movies and films and TV and things like that. So I'm ready for him to be just, like, a giant L.A. star. Yeah, and if any basketball player deserves an Oscar, it's LeBron, not Kobe. <laughs> what I actually really love about LeBron and Jordan Lakers and why I've also been sort of, like, amused by the Warriors over the past few years is that I am really intrigued by the concept of dynasties in basketball Mm -hmm. because it's just so soapy and dramatic (laughs) to me. And the players that they are amassing just to beat the Warriors, like, 
they're putting Lance Stevenson on the Lakers, and he has blown in oh LeBron's God. ear on court and like smacked him in the balls. Just like on taunted court. him. Yeah. yeah. They're not uh, friends. And now these two are supposed to be, oh, we're gonna get a championship ring together. For someone who didn't really care about basketball, like the period of Kobe and Shaq and Lamar Odom, but in particular, like it was this cross breeding of you had Lamar Odom on keeping up with the Kardashians. So even if you didn't care about basketball, like there was you knew him and you sort of knew what was going on and Kobe and Shaq had their drama. And so it was like a fun, it was like all of the divas <laughs> are in LA. If there are divas and there are beefs, I will be tuned to the TV. I kind of forget that basketball has this kind of gossipy drama. I think of team sports as just games and individual sports as drama. You know what I mean? Like tennis, like I always feel like Serena Williams is about to turn to the camera and give a monologue. It's you know a different I mean? type of drama for yeah. sure. Like it does have this sort of this interpersonal aspect to it, and LA is the place to do it. Yeah, and uh, you know you forget about it because like we don't really have basketball is like one of the you know sports that doesn't really translate to like TV or film that much. We don't have that many, or it has its like, diehards. Yeah, TV mm. shows like football is so much easier. I guess. Oh, like a Friday TV. night, like a Friday night lights. Yeah. I will say, though, I'm a little not sad for Cleveland, but I, I had underestimated how much that city had changed because he was in it. It's cool to be there in a way. There's microbreweries around and stuff, you know. You know what? They dragged LeBron and had a lot of things to say when he left for Miami. And then we're like, oh, we're sorry when he came back. Also, I will say Cleveland and yes, professional athletes make a ton of money. But LeBron James is the best example. Like LeBron James is underpaid. Because he bring, he is so valuable, and it sort of goes back to, like, if you're talking about more largely, like, Colin Kaepernick and the NFL owners and profiting off of these black athletes, like, he brings in revenue to the city of Cleveland. Like, the state of Ohio right. is more valuable when LeBron James is playing on that team, and he should be, in a perfect world, compensated for that. And it's a lot more than the $130 million, whatever he gets um, with his contract. And so it's not this, you know, you don't want to be like, boo-hoo, the millionaire isn't getting paid enough, but, like... These athletes are very, very valuable in the system that they're in um, because there are like very few black owners and things like that. They don't allow them to profit off the sport the way that they should. It's also just that weird he's a one man industry thing. So whatever he does, like transforms the landscape of the entire sport. It's literally like if Meryl Streep just decided I only am releasing my movies on Crackle now. It's like, OK, well, now the entire industry has shifted and everything's different. and You have to be on the computer. I was wondering how you were going to get Meryl Streep. That's into right. This conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I look was at wondering. Me go. Yes. You like, ex you like expertise? You want to pitch Jane Fonda in a remake of Eddie? <laughs> I saw Eddie. It was, it was fine. Um, but no, Karen brings up like such an interesting point too, because like just for the benefit of joining the Warriors, Demarcus Cousins took a pay cut. Right. You know, like people get not the money that they're owed, and it goes into that thing of how we treat black athletes and how they are the faces of these industries, but all the owners are still white. You know, mm -hmm. and then we get into that trouble with the NFL where you have public black faces of football, but then you get owners who get to be like, if you kneel during a game, right. we're fighting you because, I don't know, we love Trump. Right. Shut up and sing. Yes. Speaking of other black athletes who do not get their due, Serena Williams is back in action. She has given birth. She has released a documentary. A clothing line. And she showed up to the royal wedding. Yeah, she showed up to the royal wedding, and 
it was early as hell. <laughs> you know, she flew in. You're finally for, impressed. She flew in just for the wedding. Uh, she was jet lagged. I guess. <laughs> uh, she is back at Wimbledon. She is. And she is winning. She's winning. She won her first round match. Yeah. Against a woman named Arangsha Russ. My question is she named after Arangsha Sanchez Vicario, the tennis player from the early 90s? Because that's very Martina Hingis, Martina Navratilova. Anyway, I used to was watch tennis in the 90s. Was that all of your tennis? Was that, I was literally just throwing out all of his tennis knowledge. Did that you down. read a Bazooka Joe comic <laughs> this morning? No, you have to understand. In the mid-90s, the USA Network would show, like, exhibition tennis. And it, it, and they would, like, sex it up. And it would be like, Arantxa Sanchez-Vicario versus Gabriela Sabatini in Dayton. Ooh, it's getting hot in here. I mean, it was, like, gross. And anyway, I watched it. It's like an episode of Silk Stockings. To- totally Silk Stockings. The Femme Nikita. Yeah. <laughs> but also... A report came out that Serena Williams is drug tested more than other athletes. Okay. Shocker. I want to know. I just want to know more about this. Because, like, there's people stalking her on her estate w- trying to get a drug test, right? I'm picturing yes. the guy in the trench coat from the Billie Jean video just walking around her apartment. <laughs> Wild to me, given that the one who was actually doping was Maria Sharapova. <laughs> One of the things that was, that was also interesting, and I think Serena tweeted this, where she at one point, so, you know, for Lewis, I guess, when you're go on with the rankings, you know, you're not always, if you haven't played in a while, your ranking falls. And so we would still assume Serena is the best tennis player, but if she hasn't played a match in a while, she's not going to be ranked number one. She'll be ranked like 376th or whatever. And they were still testing her when she was ranked really low. So you sort of understand the top players, obviously those are the people you would want to be testing frequently, but then to sort of go out of your way to keep testing her when she's not ranked very highly feels a little transparent in what you're to doing. To show up 12 hours early for an appointment, mm-hmm. like, I can get showing up, you know, like, a little early for something. You know, if you want to be on time, get this done quickly, but 12 hours early? In the story, the person who came to test her showed up super early to do the testing, and I think there's a rule that they have to give you, you have to give them like a one-hour window or something like that. Like, whatever they did was kind of out of line, and she was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not here. You showed up crazy early, and people sort of yeah. ran with that, that she was doing something nefarious. Uh-huh. And, and if they doping. make an unannounced visit outside that one-hour window, you start don't get to give that athlete a missed test. But you do. Because um, three missed tests get you a doping rule violation. And I don't know. It's just it makes so much sense that they try to test Serena more often because there's just this insistence that Serena is so great. There has to be something else. Well, this is the thing, too. Like, tennis before Serena, it was this, like, these long-limbed white women, you know, playing this sort of elegant game, and then Venus and Serena showed up, and they were like, oh, we're lifting weights, and we're serious athletes, and we're kicking all of your asses constantly, and they really, they they changed, like, no one had a body type playing tennis that Serena had before Serena Williams. And so people, it's like... They're, they don't know what to do with that. And so, and it was a very, like, she came out looking like track stars. Like, she was cut and she was really built. And, like, um, you know, it was very different for the sport. And so it was the sort of, like, well, she must be doing something differently. It's like, no, she's just a better athlete than all of you. I want to reiterate also, if you watch, like, Wimbledon before Venus and Serena show up, I just want to concur with what Kara said. One year, it's Martina Navratilova when she's in, like, later in her career against Conchita Martinez. And the game is probably half as fast as you 
are familiar with it. So it's just they are like a their own sea change. Totally. But I definitely think that that plays in like, you know, when you're looking at the way people have just made comments about her in general. And like if you're looking at this doping thing now, like I think that she um it's really easy to look to the fact that just like this was this like black athlete coming in and like an athlete coming in and um you know people Sharapova even in her little memoir um I'm completely unstoppable um unless I'm playing a game against mm-hmm. Serena Williams or you know running into a child uh with a tennis racket um <laughs> talked about how when she met Serena she could tell that Serena was intimidated by like how young and like spry she was it's like serena wasn't thinking about you yeah and there have been weird comments about her body there's an, a writer who's sports writer whose name i'm not even going to say on air because he is such a waste of every resource on this planet but i think Ooh. you know who i'm talking about because he called her fat people have talked about serena's body since she showed up and i do think that this all plays into it but who cares because she's better than all of you also the world cup's happening Lewis, I trust me. I am aware of. I have lots of questions about soccer. Do you? Here's the first one: Who told soccer players about good haircuts? Because they truly are ahead of the gaze. I'm telling you. First of all, every third soccer player looks like Zayn Malik. How is that even possible? They, what planet are we on? They are very hot. How did they perfect shorts? We've had shorts for a hundred years, and they got the great ones that look great on thighs. We never had that before. It's because they've been, and it's like so popular in Europe. They're like we're well groomed. Yeah, I guess it's a European sort. They got of... a nice cut, right. out there. Yeah, and they also get their haircut every two days. I've never seen someone look even slightly disheveled um, Lewis, out there. Black people get their hair cut like every two days. Jay Z is get people who get that lineup. Yeah, that lineup. Okay. They're getting that cut often. <laughs> If yeah. there's if there's a razor involved, you have to. When you're yeah. when you're black and you got money, you can get it every day. You can get it exactly. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, I slide into the you know every week or so. Uh-huh. But <laughs> you know, I'm not Jay. Okay, I'm not shooting music videos at the Louvre. So uh, I'm not taking photos next to Beyonce, trying to look lined up. <laughs> <laughs> I actually studied abroad in Cape Town in 2010, so I was there right into the lead-up to the World Cup. It was the most soccer I had ever watched in my entire life because it was constantly on and I had to. And so I feel like I now have this like sort of general appreciation for what's happening. Um, and I just like rooting for countries that I know Donald Trump will hate. That's really oh, sure. the, that's most of the benefit is like, I really wanted, I think everyone wanted Mexico to win just to be like, fuck you, buddy. No, it should fill you with endorphins to scream the word Cameroon. I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> It's a nice feeling. Also, I will say this about soccer. This is like a hack take. But again, the acting with the injuries is just hilarious every time. Fully on the floor, tantruming, going for a Tony in the Miracle Worker, just convincing people you are injured when you are a big old scammer. Scamming is part of the sport. This sounds like your sport. I I mean, the more you talk about it for your confusion, it sounds like it's right up your alley. Maybe my thing I was most amused by was I was reading a story about I didn't know that there were like psychic like octopuses oh, right. oh, yeah. that people use to predict results. But there was a octopus from Japan that um, I saw this. predicted all the results, even the loss, and then was sent to be <laughs> sashimi. They do do that <laughs> for it. they do do that for other sports though, guys. Oh, there's <laughs> just like animorphs out there like mm-hmm. deciding games. I mean, not deciding, guessing, predicting. Hmm. I don't think that it's. They're not magic. (laughs) 
coming. That's, that's what our sports round up. That you'll get probably once every four and a half months. Let's we say. love sports on Keep It. Do we work for Bleacher Report yet? Did we get in? I don't know. Some of y'all wanted to listen to this segment. When we're back, we're going to talk about a new Netflix stand-up special. Nanette. With chocolate treats mixed into dark chocolate ice cream, the Tillamook Chocolate Collection is a chocolate game changer because the thing that pairs best with chocolate is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of Black Stories, Black Truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Here are a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us. Without us. Doesn't the Black Experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. (laughs) Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. We are back, and we are done talking about sports. (laughs) (laughs) I was crying. Louis is sweat through his shirt. (laughs) We are joined by the incomparable. Mm. (laughs) Someone's looked at the thesaurus recently. Provocateur. And writer, <laughs> Samantha Irving. Hi, guys. I want like a whole studio audience to applaud right now because I'm so excited. I want them hooting. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, my God. They're really clapping. I want them hooting and hollering like you are Kelly on Married with Children. Like yes. you walk on set and yes. everyone has lost their minds. But instead, everyone just treats me like Marcy. <laughs> when I walk into a room, they're like, oh, you... And I'm like, I'm an integral part of the show. <laughs> I like clutch my face when I read your writing. You are so, so funny. And also, by the way, such brilliant use of capital letters always. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. People always complain about that. And I'm like, I'm shouting. <laughs> right. And you need to know that I'm shouting. So it's in all caps. I feel guilty because I feel like I found you later than I should have. Yeah. Where and I feel I, I know I feel I was wrapped up writing Jezebel blogs. I don't know what the fuck I was doing. Um, when you write for the internet, you don't have time to read. I know. No, I, I, I didn't true. read what I wrote. You're please. busy checking. You're busy checking tweets, so you know what to be angry about in the morning, <laughs> exactly. so you can write 600 words yeah. about nothing. But then I what did. you guys do is incredible, like processing the news, <laughs> lightning fast, and then having an opinion and writing brilliantly about it. I take like nine weeks between blogs, and they're only but about they're so myself. good. And then when I dis- <laughs> then I discovered it, and I was like, oh. This is a perfect person. Oh, my God. Kara. Okay. First of all, I have to tell you guys that I'm a huge fan, and I listen 
every week, and I'm also Lewis's number one fan. Oh, how about that, guys? <laughs> Twist. Yeah. Take that. You are yeah. also the only one. <laughs> every <I'm>, week, <laughs> when you you so every <laughs> week when you threaten to get rid of him, I'm like, please, guys. Oh, look please. at this. Don't. Please. Listen, I'm so charmed. Lewis and yes. I are going to Mexico on vacation together this week. You guys and are going there, on vacation together? Oh, if there is an please. accident, don't blame me, but oh, I've been watching some Hitchcock. Girl, how long are you staying here? Because we could just, we could scoot you right in. We could kiki. Um, yes. How can I figure out how to get on this and like take a video camera? You guys need to be like on a reality show together. I would watch it 24 hours a day. Just the two of you bickering. Because I know it's like love. I know you it is. What, what Ira does is bring up the news and then I bring up Glenn Close and it turns into a fight. Yeah. <laughs> That's our process. It's my favorite thing. Like I'm always like, what? old white lady is Lewis gonna <laughs> pull out of his pocket today. And on every episode, it's a new one. That's exactly right. This week, we are talking about a Australian white lady, Hannah Gatsby. Yes. We all saw him the net. Mm-hmm. Yes. It you really was... don't know what you're so, in for when you start that special. Yeah. I, I no, did not. So for, do you wanna, for yes. people who don't know, Nanette is a stand-up special on Netflix right now. Although I think she's been doing the show previously. But it starts out as sort of just like you think it's going to be a – it's a comedy show and she's telling jokes. Slight spoilers, but I don't know how you can spoil a stand-up routine. <laughs> and then she, at one point she says that she wants to quit comedy. And it sort of takes this turn where she starts talking about all these other issues. She starts talking about self-deprecating humor and how it's actually sort of a form of humiliating yourself and then she gets into some really heavy shit about being a woman about being a lesbian about coming to terms with her sexuality about a lot of trauma that she's been through and how the way that people do comedy how it it, it leaves out a big chunk of the story for the joke and she and she gets into this idea of tension and tension and jokes and it's it's not what you think it's going to be in the net she and, you know, it's not unusual in a stand-up special to shift from super funny material to super serious material. But this is the first special I've ever seen where she explains why she's shifting and telling you why she doesn't have to make a joke and why or why she'll surprise you with the joke. As you said, she gets really into the idea of tension and holding audience within tension and then releasing them. And then she talks about how that weighs on her. Like, is it, you know, responsible to be a comedian when you're talking about these serious issues? It is so dense but not verbose either. It's just a really the economy of language is so incredible, and it's I, I've not seen anything like it. And, I, and most people would say the same thing. No, I, I love think. how it breaks with the form. I mean, like Bertolt Brecht is shook. That's right. Um, <laughs> oh, never did anything three like penny that nothing, bitch. I yeah. know, right? Mother Courage, Mother Hubbard. I don't know what they're talking about. These are the kind of things that I hear on the show, and I'm like, man, I am dumb. No, we're not. You write we're not books. dumb. That's not yeah, it. But I write books about nothing, Listen, and I watch Vanderpump Rules. We have a very different skill set, yes. knowledge bank, yes. and I'm happy with the knowledge that I possess, yeah. even if it's not whatever the fuck the two of them were just talking about. I'm always like, do I need to know these things to no. be a funny person in the world? Like, no. they make these references, and I'm like... Man. If you have to know about the three-penny opera to be funny, we're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What did you think of the special, Sam? So, I'm gonna be a little bit of a jerk, which is kind of my thing, and say that for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was like... What's the hype? Like, I mean, I that don't... was on my phone too. <laughs> yeah, like... I was like, 
like, well, it's pretty. I don't get at first. it. Yeah, yeah, because everyone, I, everyone, everywhere is like watching Annette, watching Annette, my phone, watching Annette on Facebook, watching Annette, Instagram and I was like, stories. okay, ooh, this clip from the net. Yeah, it was everywhere, and so I was watching it, and I was like. So I was, first of all, I was like, I don't, I had to watch with the closed captioning because I was like, do I know what she's saying? <laughs> oh, no, I, please, I, I had the glossary out for I some might. of those terms. Yeah. What else was Shrek with no, Mae Mae? No, no. I was hoping you would do an accent. This is like all of my dreams coming true at the same time. Okay, so I was like, this, I was like, this is boring. And Lindy and I were watching it and I was like, girl, are you like being moved right now and she was like no so I was like okay let's stick it out let's stick it out and then when she shifted I was immediately like blown away and instantly crying because I talk a big game but like I'm very sensitive and there's a point when she said I will never flourish that I like something broke inside of me and I also the whole time I was like, man, self-deprecation is one hundred percent my thing, mm -hmm. and I cannot watch this or else I will not have a job. <laughs> I will not have anything to write. So I had to like give myself a pep talk and be like, that's her journey. <laughs> Your journey is still talking about what a moron you are. You cannot. Don't let her talk you out of a check. So. <laughs> You're not competing with her. Yeah. I was like, um, okay, girl, you can be positive or not tear yourself down in front of people, but I am only 38 and I have no other skill set, so <laughs> I'm going to keep doing this. But it was amazing. It, at the end, it was amazing. Then I immediately started worrying about, like, her having to perform this over and right, over like right. in front of people, and I would have an emotional breakdown, I yeah. think. Two things. One, it's like one of the first super memorable comedic responses to Trump, period, yeah. that I'm super like into and I think we'll remember forever. And two, it's her straight up picking a demo on the audience, the comedy demo, white straight guys, and being like, here's why you fucking suck, mm -hmm. right in their faces. You know, for years people have tried to say that, you know, anger within the queer community, particularly lesbians, is like some sort of cliche. It's like, this has never been more qualified on film as far as I'm concerned, so we can shut the fuck up with that narrative. Yeah. I mean, anger is optimism. And by the way, I just want yeah. to say also about um, stand-up, Growing up, stand-up was the only way I knew queer people fucking existed. When you had Margaret Cho talking about her parents operating a bookstore with a gay porn section, I was like, I've been to a Barnes & Noble. What is she talking about? <laughs> and that set me on the journey that has led me here. But like Sandra Bernhardt and Elvira Kurt and, you know, um, and um, Judy Gold. You I'll know. say I am not a fan of stand-up comedy um, oh, yeah. from, like, anyone. I, I mean, I knew it was going to be something. I had actually had a friend who had gone to the show. So I knew that there was, like, some sort of twist. Um, and I would like you, because the beginning, I was like, this is why I don't like stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was almost by the end, I was like, this needs to end, this needs to end. She can't say another, I'm so upset already. Like, And it was getting sort of deeper and deeper. And like, I was like, oh my God, something else cannot have happened to this woman. I can't handle this. I can't handle this. The deconstruction to uh, Picasso was just oh, like yeah. chef's kiss. That's yeah. my favorite that part. Yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. And then she spun it around too. It was like, maybe he was right, but you know. <laughs> yeah. And again, I... Slept through the one art history class I took before I dropped out of college. So I was like, oh my God, it gets more boring. <laughs> 
But the only art I know is John Wayne Gacy's. Right. I did wonder. Jim the Carrey's. Whole, the whole thing was, where are we going with this? Because well, okay. and you know, and the jokes. Okay, where are we going with this? Yeah. The art history. Where are we going with this? But it was so satisfying. Yes. You know, and eventually. You really have to stick it out, dumb people. I am one of you, so I will tell you, I was like, is this, because everyone was like, it's revolutionizing stand-up, and I was like, oh my god, is the next stand-up wave boring, smart, like, lecturing, that would be better. Yeah, Yeah, I was like, should we be in a university auditorium right now? Like, it's like every funny teacher you've ever had who, like, goes on too long. But then it turns a corner, and Mm. and I'm a terrible person. I want to say, though, the part about about Picasso, like, I feel like... The interests of queer people in general are kind of minimized and you're made to feel bad about liking your weird esoteric things. I mean, like, again, we were talking about all the 70s white ladies I mentioned, whatever. It was nice to see somebody spend a moment on something they knew a lot about and definitely knew more than everybody else in that room about that thing and schooled them on that, too, in addition to all the other things she schooled them about. So that was, I thought, a particular gay ass triumph. Yeah, that's good. Wait, hold on. He's not esoteric, though. No, oh no, no! I'm saying he's knowledge based. It's Pablo Picasso. It's, I mean, <laughs> it's not you talking about Raquel Welch for an hour. I, excuse me, you've not seen the movie The Last of Sheila, so get off me. <laughs> I haven't seen the first of Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> what I really loved about it too was that it gave you sort of this. I talked about this that James Baldwin article last week, the interview, you know, just about being gay in America and how some of that was still sticking with me during the net because it just talked about how our parents and like what society teaches us, like it instills so much homophobia in the world just innocuously. And you know, every person still lives with that. No matter like how out you are, no matter how happy you are, like you still sort of have that hanging over you. And it was just nice to have that like verbalized. Do we think she's going to be, one thing I, th- well, I do think is interesting is like, you know, we love to throw away anyone who's not a, like fucking Kevin Spacey. Like I want this to lead to like more for her. Um, and I sometimes worry that like four straight white dudes, like they're being told that they suck for 90 minutes or whatever. Like, I hope it's not this sort of like, okay, we listened to her once. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I hope yeah. that mm-hmm. like, it continues to be something like what this person has to say is really interesting. And like, you allow her to keep saying what she wants to say. Not like, okay, you gave us our one talking to, we, we watched your special and now be funny or whatever. Particularly because in the special, she, quit for real? I was going to say, she threatens to quit. <laughs> I know. Times, she does. You know, she better not. <laughs> Well, I really also just love how Netflix did her special, you know? It's like they've been really doing a good thing with, like, putting stand-ups on this new sort of, like, stage where it's like, you know, one special can almost make you, like, a household name. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like Ali Wong had her special um, and, you know, like, couldn't get enough of her. I feel like, you know, she was already being a writer, but now people, you know, not everyone knows the name. No, she has a brand. TV writers, yeah. that she's a brand. And I hope that Hannah, you know. And I hope you got your money, girl. Gets herself a brand. I yes. hope you got your money. People are going to think her name is Nanette, though. Um, <laughs> kind of like in the way that people still call Chelsea Handler Chelsea lately. It's like, guys, that's not a name, obviously. <laughs> lately? Yeah. <laughs> when we're back, Drake.
The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. Drake's latest album, Scorpion, comes out amidst a beef with Pusha T, claims that he fathered a son in secret, which he has since confirmed on the album, and critiques that Scorpion is just more of the same from the Canadian rapper, and he refuses to grow up. So what do we think of Scorpion? I'm going to start with Mm -hmm. you, Sam, number one Drake fan, (laughs) even more than me. I never thought I would meet somebody who loves Drake more than me. Okay, so... I am grappling lately with feeling old because I like look at people and I think like, oh, like my son. And like I he I don't I think we might be close to the same age, but I've always had a like, oh, look at my little Drake kind of feeling <laughs> toward him. <laughs> look at my hot, beautiful son. Um <laughs> the B side, so like the super emo R and B side speaks to the mopey teenage girl in me who is actually still adult me. I have been listening to the song In My Feelings <laughs> on repeat probably for the last three days. It's it's so good. I haven't listened to the first half much because I prefer crooning Drake oh, see, I, I, to rapping Drake. I have enjoyed Scorpion, although my one complaint would be I wanted a few more summer bops. Like I wanted yes. at least nothing else was going to be nice for what are God's plan because right. those are two perfect songs. Mm-hmm. But I would maybe want a third. I wanted like something that was at the level between God's plan or nice. Just give me one more bop and I will listen to you cry about how upset you are you had a baby with this lady. <laughs> I will do it if you give me one more Bob Drake. And he only kind of did it, but I have been... He had some... He was going through some yes, shit on this album. Yes. It is I all. love that. I love to hear a man processing his feelings. He processed it up, down, and back. Yeah. To digest a Drake album, because when he drops them, they have 70 tracks. Yes. Uh, yeah, this so, one is a commitment. This I is have a been, long I have been mostly first half, because I like, you know, that kind of Drake. I like him... You know what I like? I like when Drake is at the club, but still sad. Yes. Yes. Like, you know, but he's yes. there. He's trying, but yeah. he's real sad to be there. Yeah. That's my favorite Drake. <laughs> Plus, there's just something about Drake's voice and his flow that just sort of, like, appeals to me. It soothes me. Yeah. So, like, I can st- I have every Drake album on just a mega playlist, and I can just, like, put it on shuffle, yes. light a diptyque, drink Which some diptyque? wine. Bays. 
Oh, of course. Yes. yes. The Chantal just... is very good too, though. Okay. I mean, we could talk about this. Yes, after. we'll get into it. Uh, and then, <laughs> wait, you know, Summer Games is not in the first half of the album. No, right? that, like, that's my I, favorite one. I love that's Summer my Games. Favorite song yeah. on it, and so. I also love that he, you know, robbed Michael Jackson's crypt. And found some unearthed vocals. <laughs> Did not hate that song. Thought it was really good. It was yeah. really good. Auto tune yeah. to hell to sound like The Weeknd, <laughs> but it's a very good song. That's uh, the thing, though. Drake is not like I. Um, I when Hotline Bling came out, I remember and I wrote about because that video that was like incredible. That was like yes. a crazy moment, and he was such a like dork dancing the video in his sweater, and I and everyone loved it. And I was like, he knows what he's doing. He understands the internet and this culture and millennials more than any artist I think operating right now. Even when you don't love his albums, if you're not like a huge Drake fan, like you still kind of like it because mm-hmm. he just like gets it. Yeah. And Scorpion's another example of like even I I haven't been like as into it as other albums. But I'm like, I still like this. Like, he still got me. He knows how to do this completely. I mean, he is one of us. You know, he he's is. 31. I am like four months older than Drake. And <laughs> Are I, you crying? I, yeah, I, I'm crying. <laughs> um, I really lo- I'm too old for him. I really do like the album more than views too which i thought that's interesting to me i'm surprised by that i thought views was a damn mess Mm. well sam i have a question for you yes as a drake lover this is your son um how do you feel about him being a father (laughs) conflicted (laughs) i don't want to be a grandmother obviously (laughs) i feel so he sounds so sad about it yes and he sounds like he doesn't see the kid and maybe that's not by choice is that what I Your wasn't I wasn't lies? hiding my son from the world. I was hiding the world from, from my, my son. son. Yeah. I it Is makes your son me... Magneto? Didn't he say he'd only met It sounded like he said he'd only even met this woman twice. Yes. Like the presumably the time that they conceived Adonis and then like there's that that paparazzi photo of them at a restaurant where I assume she's breaking the news to him about this situation. Yeah. It doesn't sound like he's seen the kid a lot which I don't love. Yes. I w- and I'm sure he's sending checks or whatever, but I I mean, I would love to see Drake holding a baby. I feel like that would really make my mm-hmm. heart complete. I also am a little conflicted because I dated a dude named Adonis who worked at KFC, and that makes me feel strange. It reminds me of my checkered past, um, so I don't love that. But I wish we could like see him with the baby, like being a dad. I feel like it. Would be mm-hmm. Well, what cute. I think is so part of the reason when Pusha T broke the news about Adonis, apparently, and I don't know if this was confirmed, but there were rumors that he was going to like introduce the kid with his new like Adidas rollout. So it was he was going to kind of DJ Khaled his baby and like you know just use it to profit. But it seems like he fully can't do that anymore after the Pusha T song. I think that's a good thing. I feel like that was a, it's for that the best. Super tacky way to <laughs> announce your child to the world is. Yeah. I have a secret child. Also, <laughs> buy these track pants. Yeah. Do you not feel though that this album is a little bit like? Here's going to be a comparison. You're not going to like the Taylor Swift Reputation album because it's a little bit about responding to like mystery critics in a way. But and he like, always does that. Yes, but I feel like 
it goes in and out of I know exactly what he's responding to and also he's just like you know monologuing so ad nauseum it's it's hard to keep track of I do think that's one of the things I like about Drake is he does always respond to really petty shit which is a funny even when it's just like nothing where someone who's a multi-millionaire would just be like oh I have so much money I'm not gonna respond to this Drake is like oh no 40 turn the mic on (laughs) like this is what I'm gonna respond to he is constantly trying to stab Polonius behind a curtain like that is Drake to a T. He's Hamlet, um, the Hamlet of rap, of hip hop, of R and B, of my life. But thank God he did not respond to Pusha T. Yeah, thank just. I just like Lee. Lee Pusha T. Pusha T is a grandfather, aged <laughs> drug dealer. <laughs> um, he will kill you. Yeah. Like Pusha T, like probably watches Harlem Nights every every day. <laughs> um, me too, though. and I'm harmless. <laughs> How do we feel about when people talk about like Drake and his misogynistic lyrics? They feel like a put on to me. They don't feel like mystical, right? You know, I think yes. it's yeah, and I you know this is an inter- this is like a much larger conversation that would love to have with some ladies. But there's this thing when you like something and you have to recognize, but also recognizing that part of it doesn't like you. And I think that that's something like when I talk about like liking Sex in the City and there's no black people on it, I still like this. And I've you have to learn to enjoy things that maybe are can be hostile to you or you know at best just don't even involve you and i think that for a lot of women and in particular a lot of black women with hip hop it is this thing where you're like am i not going to dance to nice for what mm-hmm. like that it's like feels like i'm being robbed of something by being like well i'm not going to listen to this i also think drake is the least of our worries in yeah. that department <laughs> yeah i don't want to be a drake apologist but i feel like he Real, like plaintively asks, do you love me <laughs> on so many songs <laughs> that I'm like, that's the real him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, he's got a posture, you know, so like the men respect him. But the real him is like writing in his diary being like, do you love me? I mean, who am I to complain? I listen to Migos. So, um... Also, speaking of, by the way, Cardi B got her second number one single, and I am so proud of her. You go have that baby, girl. Good for you. I think she's the only woman still to have a number one single this year as a solo woman. She's the first female rapper, too, to have two number one billboard singles. I know trivia, too, Lewis. (laughs) Wow, oh my God. (laughs) That's all I know, though. That's all I know. Where do we think Drake's future lies? With with you, right, Sam? Well, oh. I would hope so, but you know how I feel about kids, so <laughs> What do you mean where his where his future lies? Like he's gonna be an architect or something? I don't know. You know, like he manages to keep putting out the same album and I love it. Uh yes. I think he's probably just I gonna think we're keep gonna doing get more of these. He's just gonna keep doing the same thing. But he's going to do like the Beyonce thing where he has like the baby on one of the tracks. I yeah. feel like that's next. Yeah. Like... I also think Drake might find himself because he does not seem to be interested in the woman who birthed his child. No. He's no. made that quite clear on March 14th. So I think he may get into his first like non Rihanna, non Serena, real ish relationship. Because he, he's getting a little bit older now. He's, you know, he's clearly worn down by all that he's been through with the partying and the, you know, porn Same. stars. I want him to get into therapy. He, I think he might, and he's got the kid now. So I actually think the next Drake album might be 
even like an ode, some more odes to like a specific, like the lady we know we're talking about. I don't mm-hmm. know. I could see that. Anyway, Drake is unstoppable. He is like all 25 of the fucking songs are at the top of <laughs> the I Apple, hate how a, charts work charts. It's so annoying. Uh, He's so, gotten like what, like his streaming numbers were just like yeah, ignorant n- yeah. numbers. Yes. Shattered one day streaming records in the first 24 hours. It had 170 million streams on Apple Music around the world and on Spotify. It was being listened to 10 million times an hour. Jesus. I cannot wait until we are all like 55, like millennials, and Drake is doing his touring still and we get to like do like when my parents would go to like an like a James Brown concert and just like because I forget that he was a young person like when my dad was listening <laughs> to him like this was like a young hip person I can't wait for us to all like go to Drake's shows and just like our kids are going to be so embarrassed well not you know the youths <laughs> will be embarrassed it's gonna be like going to a Frankie Beverly yes and yes Drake. we're gonna wear all white <laughs> yes oh we Drake, have to wear all white. Yes. Drake in the nostalgia tent at summer festivals. Like yeah. When we, like when we saw Mal Rogers and she. Yeah. <laughs> Drake like, at Essence Fest in 25 <laughs> years. Yes. Oh my God, I cannot wait. We'll be there. You know what? He will probably agree to come on the show at that point. Drake, if you're listening. Adonis will be 26, <laughs> just so embarrassed by his dad. Uh, so we have that. I want to thank you so much. For this coming is here, a you, real dream. You have been our best guest. <laughs> you really, really. Yeah. I mean, we have a big wall. Hopefully, where none of our off. other guests have heard that. But I yes. will come I like sit outside drama. your door. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, if they want to, if they want to top you, they can come back. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then they can top me in real life because I'm a sub. <laughs> <laughs> This, this is the actual real contender for replacing Lewis, by the way. This is the only one you should be oh, yeah, right. seriously shook Pay by. Attention. I, would be, I would cry, but also take the job. <laughs> Check out Samantha Irby's Meaty, or We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. They are in bookstores near you. And we're back with our favorite segment of the week. It is Keep It, Kara. What are you keeping this week? I am keeping these scooter things, these motorized scooters that have taken over my neighborhood. They, I think they began where so much evil begins in Silicon Valley. And then they've brought them to Venice and they've slowly creeped over a little further east. So there are these electronic scooters that you can rent just sort of like you just walk up to it and you can able, you were able to get on it or some shit like that. Um, and then you can just leave them literally anywhere you want. You just drive drop them on the street like trash, and that's it. It seems super dangerous. No one is ever wearing a helmet. They're riding them on the sidewalk. They're getting in my way. They're leaving them on places where I can trip, and I hate them so much. And this argument about, like, oh, they're for people who maybe live, like, a little far from a bus stop, and they can help with... That's not what they're doing. That's not who's using these things. It's, like, asshole teenagers who were using these fucking scooters, and they are not helping anyone in public transportation, and they're not reducing driving or solving anything with congestion or any of that shit. They are just a nuisance, and um, I hope they... Die. No matter who you are, if you're on a scooter, male or female, your name is Skylar to me. I, if you soar past me, I'm like Skylar. Almost just ran me the fuck over. 
And I can see he went to a state school and he's cocky about it. I don't, I don't want to know about his liberal arts degree. By the way, I also went to a state school and have a liberal arts degree. Moving on. Is this a Tinder ad? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hate the birds too. They're awful. I, I, but I also hate like the real birds. Like shoot them out of trees, right? No. Uh, 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 <laughs> when the birds don't win in the Hitchcock movie, it's if a I hero's see tale. A, if I see a peacock, I'm going to start. I'm going to start just stealing the scooters and putting them in my parking garage. <laughs> That's what I'm going to start doing. And you guys aren't because clearly none of you are responsible. And if you're leaving them on like the lawn in front of my apartment, you can't be trusted. They're all going to be in the garbage dump. That's where you can find your birds. Lewis, <laughs> what are you keeping? There's this uh, Netflix rom-com that came out a few weeks ago called Set It Up, which stars two people who were in the movie Everybody Wants Some, which is a really good movie, including Zo- Zoe Deutsch, who, this is a person who is an Ellen Page who is Anna Kendricking her way into being a Rose Byrne, which I think is going to work out for her. She's really great. But... In this movie, there's like a gay best friend type, a gay roommate, and he's played by Pete Davidson, who has just decided simply not to act in the movie. He's just Pete Davidson. I want to shout out my friend Joe Reed, who wrote a piece about this at Decider. It's not novel to watch Pete Davidson be like, what if I were a gay guy? Isn't that something novel? No. I already saw, like, that's not a new or fresh take. We're still wondering what it looks like when gay people are in movies, period. So I'm not, like, thrilled by you pretending you're a gay man. I also fucking saw Willem Dafoe play, like, a harsh asshole gay guy in that Boondock Saints movie that every college freshman in 2005 needed to make sure I saw. In this movie, he gets three scenes. And what's painful to me especially is that there was another gay actor in the movie who gets one scene as like a waiter, and he is hilarious. His name's Jeff Hiller. That guy should have been playing this character. But anyway, Pete Davidson being like, shrug, I'm a gay guy this time. Ain't cute. Mine is an email that I just received from... Are you prepared for this then? Well, listen. <laughs> it, this, this email was too hot. Okay. <laughs> A Hollywood Reporter exclusive that there is a secret Roe v. Wade film shooting now in New Orleans. Oh, hell no. And it is being co-directed by Nick Loeb, the man who battled Sofia Vergara for her frozen embryo. <gasps> and it is starring John Voight and Stacey Dash. Oh, no, my, no, 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 no. This is not real. You're just saying Mad Libs. This isn't real. <laughs> First of all, John Voight and Stacey Dash are not allowed to meet. I can't believe that even happened. I hate John Voight. Wait, Nick, the man, ah, ah, he was awful. He was like trying to make her, ah, about Roe v. Wade? Yes. That you would sneak Stacey Dash into the last minute of this podcast like this. I I usually have to prepare days for that. Jesus it's Christ. been shooting in secrecy, and there is an exclusive in the Hollywood Reporter. It must be like against Roe v. Wade if, if Stacey Dash is in it. Yeah. Oh, hell. Well, she's a brilliant Oscar-winning oh actress. God. Of course they'd pick her for that oh movie. Oh, my God. Can't we... Have I not suffered enough with this bitch? It's like your next thing, Amorosa is going to make a cameo, and it's just going to be... You'll never see me again. Well, wait until you hear about next week's guest. <laughs> <laughs> Ann Coulter is the judge. <laughs> she's Amorosa, and she's back. Oh, God. Anyway, that's been our show this week. I want to give another shout-out to Sam Irby, who is great... I'll see you all when I get back from Mexico. And R.I.P. Lewis. (laughs) Bye, guys. (laughs) 
whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.